Isaiah chapter number 51 in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 51, thankful for all of the folks that make church happen around here. And Pastor Andrew getting service going, Brother Kyle with the prayer time, our security team and all they do to make our church work. All of you for being faithful. Isaiah chapter 51. Once you found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to begin at verse number 9 and read down through verse number 16 uh, here to begin with, and then we'll recap what we covered last week, and then we'll work, try to work through the end of 52 uh, this evening. The Bible says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art not... Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I, even I, am he that uh, comforteth you. Who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man, which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker, or for, uh, for, correct, forgettest the Lord thy maker, that, uh, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundation of the earth, and hath feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy? And uh, where uh, is the fury of the oppressor, the captive exile? hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God, that divideth the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in thy mouth. I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens, and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people." title of the Bible study again tonight is God Has Not Forgotten You. God Has Not Forgotten You. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for uh, the truths that are in it. It's a book of prophecy of, of old. It's a book of prophecy of yet to come. But Lord, inside of all of this, these are great uh, truths that we can apply to our day-to-day living. And so, Lord, as we make those applications today, may the Word of God touch each one of us and motivate us to go forth and live for you. Be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we a couple of introductory thoughts here quickly. First of all, we, we said that this uh, cha- these chapters, 51 and 52, were written to Babylon while they would be in captivity there in... Uh, r- r- right, written to Israel while they would be in, ca- in captivity in Babylon. Isaiah wrote these prophecies well, in, uh, well over 100 years in advance of Israel even being in captivity, but predicted they would be in captivity predicted uh, who it was that would take them into captivity, predicted the name of the man who would rise up and lead them out of captivity, and then told them very well uh, what would happen uh, to follow uh, that. And so um, it's just amazing that you have God's man um, uh, prophetically telling us exactly what would happen and uh, that would um, that would indeed take place. And then he, not only does he write about their incoming captivity and the uh, what would happen and how they'd get out of it, but he also goes on and tells them, um, uh, gives them words of encouragement during that time. They can turn to 
and uh, be encouraged. Now, you and I, we all face our own versions of struggles, and sometimes those struggles have nothing to do with our own personal sin. Uh, we live in a sin-fallen, sin sin-cursed world. We live under the condemnation of sin. And one day, uh, to those who are believers in the Lord, that sin curse will no longer be understood or realized. It will be removed. And we'll get to live in heaven with the Lord forever. And what a great day that's going to be. What a great day it's going to be when we don't have to worry about sin or uh, the struggles of sin. And uh, you ever been going along, having a great day, worshiping the Lord, praising Him? Maybe you read your Bible and you prayed and Man, you just, you just, you just got a great day going spiritually, and all of a sudden, it's like someone just comes up and just, just whacks you. And you think, man, what's that guy's problem? What's her problem? Right? I was having such a great day, and lo and behold, someone had to come along, and they just had to mess up my great day in the Lord. Maybe it's a coworker who's cantankerous, or, uh, maybe it's a neighbor who just gets all upset with you over nothing. Maybe it's a spouse who, uh, you know, you're the same person all throughout the day. All of a sudden, they get upset with you over something that's just silly, and it feels like your whole day has been upended. But I have to tell you, most of the time when we're going through seasons of life where things just aren't real great, the culprit is usually the one that you look at in the mirror every morning. That's usually the case. Usually, I am the cause of most of my problems. And I'm really good at finding why it's not my fault and why it's everyone else's fault, but usually I am the culprit. And if you're honest with yourself this evening, that's usually the case with you. Israel here, Babylonian captivity, and, um, you know, they were there 70 years, 30, 40 years in, they can start to get discouraged and say, why are we here? What are you doing to us, God? And so God is going to remind them throughout this passage that, it's not my fault, but I love you yet anyway, and I'm going to help you. So the chapters 51 and 52 are laid out with great symmetry. Let's notice the symmetry quickly, and then we'll jump right in and pick up where we left off last week. Notice chapter 51 and verse 1. 51 1 says, Hearken to me, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. All right? Look down at verse number 4. Hearken unto me, thy, uh, my people, and give ear unto me. Look down at verse number 7. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. So three, hearken unto me, hearken unto me, hearken unto me. Look down at verse number 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Look down at verse number 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord. And then look at 52 verse 1. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. And so we have... Uh, three, hearken unto me, hearken unto me, hearken unto me. And then three times we get the words, awake, awake. And now, one time we get the words, look at verse 11, depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. And so there's the symmetry of the passage. And so we covered the hearken unto me last week. We saw, uh, number one, we saw the admonishment. The admonishment we saw, look behind you. God was there to take care of you from the very beginning. And then we saw letter B, look ahead of you. When all of this is burned up and gone, those who have truly believed in the Lord, they're the ones that are going to be just fine. And then we saw, look within you. And we talked about how that if you are redeemed, you have the peace of God to rest within you even when life is not going just as you would have it. All right, let's jump in and look at number two. So we saw number one, the admonishment. 
Number two, let's notice the arousal. The arousal. There's going to be a call from Israel to wake up God, and there's going to be a call from God to wake up Israel. And so we'll see first Israel, letter A, Israel's prayer to God. Israel's prayer to God. Now, we're not going to reread all of 9 through 16, but look down with me at verse number 9, and let's sort of glean from uh, this the fruit of these verses. Look at verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, as in the generation of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab? Now, I, I did some research on Rahab. The only Rahab in the Bible that we know of is the one who was rescued off the wall of Jericho. However, if you look at the word Rahab in the Hebrew, um, it's read and pronounced even translated the same way. There's one little difference of a Hebrew letter in the center of one of the words wherein that word Rahab could be understood as a monster of the sea, a dragon of the sea. And as we'll see here, uh, Israel is calling out to God, reminding him of the time he slew the dragon Egypt to get them out of bondage. Look back at verse number 9. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Verse 10. Art thou not it who hath dried the sea, the water of the great deep, and hath made the depths of the sea away for the ransom to pass over? Referencing back to when Moses parted the waters and they crossed through the Red Sea. And, and here Israel is saying, uh, Lord, remember when you did these things for us, just as we were in captivity in Egypt. Now we're asking you set us free. We're asking you to set us free yet again. Look down at verse number 12. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. God responds, who art thou that, um, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? And of the Son of Man, which shall be made as grass. Now, um, I think of Psalm 77, verse number 11, that says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. And uh, uh, for as long as I have been reading the Bible, and as long as I've been going to church, I um, have heard this said, and then even thought this myself, when reading through the first five books of the Bible. You know, you look at the Israelites. You see how they're in this great captivity that, by the way, they put themselves into by selling Joseph into slavery. And so, here they are in captivity. And then, they call out to God for a deliverer, and Moses comes along and leads them, what, out of captivity. And they get out of uh, uh, captivity by going through uh, the, the, the Red Sea. They get on the other side and they rejoice only to go up a couple of days later and be thirsty and then begin to complain. And so then God takes the, the, the waters there of Marah, which means bitter, and He uh, has, him, uh, has Moses put a tree in it, and it turns the water sweet, and the entire nation of Israel and all their animals are able to drink, and they rejoice only to go a few days later and be thirsty again and begin to complain. And so then Moses strikes a rock, and from this flint rock, a huge river of water comes pouring out from it. And the people, they begin to rejoice, only to go a few feet later and get to the base of Mount Sinai and construct a statue uh, and begin to give praise back to the gods of Egypt, which they were saved from. And they begin to say, we don't even know where Moses is or what even matters about him. He's gone. This is what led us out. They take their clothes off and they begin to dance to very wicked music around this statue. And Moses comes down and sees all of it and breaks the Ten Commandments and draws a line in the sand. 
and says, who is on the Lord's side? And a whole bunch of Israelites get killed that day. And there's a mass burial that takes place. And listen, they go a few, uh, uh, go a little ways later and begin to complain again. And uh, victory after victory after victory, God shows Himself strong, yet they still can't help themselves but complain. And I thought to myself, like many of you have that read through it, how short-term memory can you be? You have watched God do all these great things for you, yet when you get stuck in a moment of misery, you throw up your hands in dismay and you complain as though God is not capable of coming through for you again. And I would say whether or not, whether you put yourself in that spot through your behavior, or maybe God's just putting you through a time of trial, and He's got you sort of under the screws and you're miserable, God is still on the throne, and the God of yesterday is the God of today. Amen? And so Israel, uh, rightfully so, in their misery in Babylon, they cry out to God. They say, awake, 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 awake. They say, remember how you delivered us from the beast, from the dragon of Egypt. We want you to deliver us from the captivity of Babylon. Sometimes in my own life, and take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, if you would. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Um, uh, Oftentimes in my own life... um, I uh, I find myself uh, sort of wrapped up in, in some sort of wrongdoing. And um, maybe it's a complaining spirit. Um, uh, maybe it's um, you know some other sin that just has encircled me and, and is besetting me. And, and Lord, deliver me like you delivered me from the sin of fill-in-the-blank years ago. And the God of... The, the strong God who delivered me from sins in the past is capable of delivering me from misery today. And I'm going to tell you part of the problem that we find ourselves in, part of the struggle, is that we're too worried about what other people think. We're just too worried about what other people think. We care more about pleasing man than we do about pleasing God. And you say, oh, well, not me. I'm an introvert. I, I keep to myself. I don't care what other people think about me. Well, listen, if you've got a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or you've got a child, uh, even an introvert can be overly concerned about what a close relative thinks than they do what God thinks. And if we're not careful, we go through life looking to please man. We we, we go through life looking to, uh, to put ourselves forward in a way that gains the attention of our fellow human, and we'll make decisions that maybe don't please God, and that gets us in trouble. And in this passage, God tells Israel in in, in Isaiah 51, he says, don't you fear what man can do to you. They're going to die. You need to more fear what I can do for you because I am your God. Look at Matthew 10, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You are are not just a body. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when that flesh fails you one day, that soul is going to go on and live somewhere forever. And you don't need to be concerned about what other people think about you. You need to be concerned about what God thinks about you. Because um, one day... You're going to stand before your maker and you're going to give an account for the way you live your life. And if you're saved, you're not going to, the account won't be about heaven or hell. The account will be about right, righteous living versus unrighteous living and what you did for the Lord 
and what He entrusted to you. To the parents in the room tonight, the grandparents in the room tonight, He's entrusted you with those children and those grandchildren. You need to make sure you're raising them up. Or to the grandparents, you are admonishing where you can. You're influencing where you can. Because that is something the Lord... God did not give you babies to raise them up so they could be very rich to take care of you in your old age. God gave you babies to raise them up for His honor and His glory and His service. Here, they're afraid of what the Babylonians can do to them, but rather they should have been more concerned about who God was and what He could do for them. Take your Bibles over to Romans chapter 8. Now, I find a very interesting parallel uh, here between Egypt and the crossing through the Red Sea and the comfort that was felt. Watch this. Now, Egypt is a picture of sin in the world. And uh, they were in Egypt. They were uh, equivalent in the parallel to us before we were saved. They passed through the Red Sea and uh, uh, just and left Egypt behind. By the way, once they left Egypt, they never went back. They never went back. All right. And um, when we get saved, we pass through the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus, and we are saved, and we leave behind uh, the permanence dwelling of, of, of Egypt, the being lost. And when they entered into this area, what did God give them? He gave them the comfort of His Shekinah glory. What does that mean? They had, they had a pillow, pillar, a cloud that came down and kept the sun off of them during the day to provide them comfort from the sun. And at night in the desert, when it gets cold, that thing turned into a heating system. It literally was on fire with the presence of God and the glory of God. It kept them warm at night. And guess what? When you pass through the blood of Jesus to get saved, He gave you at that very moment, we'll see in Romans 8, He gave you a comforter. He gave you the Spirit of God. He put His Shekinah glory inside of you to indwell you. Look at Romans 8, look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, that's Egypt, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself, and I talked about this Sunday morning, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I said where there is no conviction over or for, for sin, there's been no conviction. Uh, there's rather there's been no conversion from sin. Where there's been no, uh, where there is no conviction for sin, there's been no conversion from sin. And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He puts that Spirit of God inside of us the day that we pass through. Take your Bibles to John 14. John 14, verse 26. And I'm going, to, I'm going to bring all this back together with Israel here in just a moment. John 14, and verse number 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, I love when you have all three parts of the Trinity found in one verse. You say, well, where do you see Jesus in the verse? He's the one that's speaking it, all right? So you have Jesus, and he's speaking of both the Father and the Holy Ghost as three 
distinct units, yet they're all God. John 14, 26. What does he say? He says, I'm going to go up to heaven and I'm going to send the Comforter down here. So while I'm in heaven, the Comforter will be on earth, the Holy Ghost, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Uh, he'll give you remembrance of the experience that, uh, to, that you shared with me. That part of it's to his disciples. Now, here's what I'm getting at this, this evening. When you are in a place where you feel that God has forgotten you, you're going through a hardship in your life, and you just feel like your prayers are bouncing off the walls, and you feel like you're hopeless, you feel like you're lost, maybe you're trapped in sin, and you've tried to fight your way out of that, uh, that sin, and you just can't, and you're just ready to get discouraged and quit and just let the sin become part of your life. Maybe you're battling some sickness. Maybe you're battling some relationship issue. Uh, maybe you're battling some sort of financial uh, woe. And uh, it's been going on for years and years. And you're just ready uh, to quit. And you think, God, where are you? Uh, uh, God uh, comes back and says, if I came for you, uh, through for you in the past, I'm just as capable of coming through for you today. Um, let's move on and see letter B, God's promise to Israel. We saw Israel's prayer to God. Let's see God's promise to Israel. And I, I, this is going to tie, this is going to tie, uh, this is going to bring it all together, the arousal. Look at uh, verse 17, Isaiah 51, look at verse 17. So Israel has an awake, awake for the Lord, and now the Lord is going to have an awake, awake for Israel. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. Who has drunk at the hand of the Lord uh, the cup of his fury? Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she hath brought forth. Neither is there any that taketh her by the hand of all the sons that she hath brought up. These two things are come unto thee. Who shall be sorry for thee? Desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword... By whom shall I comfort thee? Thy sons have fainted. They, they lie at the head of all the street. As a wild bull in a net, they are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. Therefore, hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord and thy God, that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again, but I will put it in, I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, uh, which have said to thy soul, bow down, that we may go over, and thou uh, hast laid thy body as the ground and on the street to them that went over. And so he's saying to them, you're crying out to me, and you want me to step up and help you. You want me to recover you out of Babylon. But you need to be reminded that right now you are under the punishing hand of God because of sin in your past. Take your Bibles to uh, Lamentations chapter 1. Lamentations 1. And we'll see a first-hand account of the prophet of Jeremiah and how he saw this very thing coming to pass. Again, a reminder, Isaiah wrote this 115 to 150 years prior to it happening. Jeremiah, who would be born after Isaiah, he would come along and he would realize it. He was there at the end of, uh, of Judah and the kingdom. He was taken into captivity into Babylon and then released to go back uh, to Jerusalem. So he gets back to Jerusalem and look what he sees. He sees the punishing hand of God on Israel. Look at verse 1. How doth the city sit solitary? That was full of people. 
How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces, how has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The the ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. And she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. Hey, Israel, you're in a bad spot. Jerusalem, you're in a place of devastation. But before you go pointing your finger at God, and before you go blaming Him, maybe you look inward, and maybe you look around you at all the transgression and sin over many centuries of living this way, and you are now under the punishing hand of God. Turn over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. I try my best in these Isaiah Bible studies to give you proper historical context, but then yet to make an application to us in our day-to-day living. Hebrews chapter number 12. While you're finding your way there, parenting in Western culture is very broken. Very, very broken. Um, we, we live under this premise that I have to protect my child at all costs from any sort of pain and suffering and struggle. And... That's not God's style, nor is it God's plan. I remember when I was a boy, there was a family, had kids our age, and I just couldn't connect with these kids. They were in our church. I just couldn't connect with them. And the reason was is because the parenting style was just so different from my home. This was a mom who I've now understood to be an extreme germaphobic person. And uh, understand in the 90s, germaphobia wasn't near as common as it is today. And so um, her kids were always washing their hands and just trying to be protected against germs at all costs. Well, one day I went to my mom and I said, Mom, how come this family misses church for sickness more than any other family in the church? She says, isn't that funny? They try to protect themselves from germs, and now they're sick more than just about everybody else. But I don't just, uh, I use that as a parallel. I think oftentimes we live in a helicopter, lawnmower-style parent Parenting where I've got to go out in front and cut down every problem that my child could encounter. Uh, that way they, they can just walk through life and it's easy for them and there are no problems. And uh, where it gets even worse is that when this begins to bleed over into our punishing of children for wrongdoing. When you begin to shield children from the consequences of wrong and moral choices, even at the age of two, three, and four years old... What There are many problems with that, but one of the great problems with that is you begin to warp their reality of who God is. And then later on one day when God comes down and punishes them for wrongdoing, they're now going to wonder how God could be so mean to them. My friend, to be a parent is to punish 
wrongdoing severely and thoroughly and consistently. And when you don't do it, you are warping their view of who God is. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Notice those words, love, those words, loveth and chasteneth. If you love, you will chasten. By chastening, it ought to come from a place of loving. There are plenty of parents that they, they spank and they beat and they hurt and they abuse and they don't love. You can chasten without loving. You cannot properly love without chastening. The two fit hand in hand. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If you love, you will chasten. Let's keep reading. And scourgeth, there's the idea of spanking. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? What, if I could just tell you what verse 7 means here. What decent parent doesn't punish their child? That's what it's saying. All right? And to those people who are anti-spanking, I'll just say this to you. There's a right and wrong way to spank. All right? I spanked my kids when they were little. It's been a long time since I've had to spank either one of them. Uh, you do it the right way when they're little. You don't have to do it as much when they get older. I never have one time hit my child out of anger. Not one time. Not once. Not once. It's always been very careful. It's been very planned, and it's had a purpose and it's doing it. A lot of parents say, well, I don't spank my children because I don't want to beat them. Well, what you're going to end up doing is beating, be, you're going to end up beating them verbally. You're going to end up abusing them verbally. And I would say that that has uh, repercussions that could be far worse. Look at verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. The Bible says here that if you grow up in a home where you're not punished, you might as well be a bastard. Because you're being raised as though your parents are absent. They're not in place. And to be a child of God and not know His hand of punishment, uh, that, that's not possible. Because to be a child of God and to be punished by God, those two fit together. Look at verse number 9. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What's this saying here? What, what are we getting uh, from this idea here of the punishing hand of God? Uh, God is saying to Israel, you want me to wake up, wake up, come to your rescue and save you. But hang on, right now you are in a place of punishment. And until this time of punishment is over, I will not be there to rescue you. But when it is, you can be certain that I will come in and I will salvage you from the hand of uh, the punishment. Listen, being punished is part of the Christian life. And if you have done wrong in your life and you are having to suffer as a result, don't be an entitled, spoiled little Christian brat that says... God forgot about me. No, God did not forget about you. In fact, quite the opposite. God knows who you are, knows where you are. It may just be that you are under the punishing hand of God at this time in your life. And I'll say this before we move on to letter C here. Oftentimes, we fail to realize the principle of, of, of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. I, I think God gave us um, agriculture for a reason. 
Um, if I go out and uh, plant time, planting time, and I plant um, the seeds for a harvest, uh, assuming this is a one-year cycle or a one-season cycle and not a fruit tree, but maybe like a tomato plant or a strawberry plant or zucchini or squash, I, I plant those in the ground, I'm not going to come back tomorrow and get fruit. I'm going to come back six to nine months later and I'm going to get fruit. We plant the seeds of sin in our life over the period of years, and then we cut sin off, and we start planting the seeds of righteousness, my friend, that harvest is going to still be coming in for a long time. You planted for years, you very well may have to reap for years. And you planted the seeds of righteousness yesterday, you're going to need to keep planting those and waiting. Some of you here grew up in homes that were broken and and, and, and a lot of hurt and pain and maybe uh, poor choices were made your direction or you made poor choices in your life. And you say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm I'm, I'm having to suffer because of that. What do you recommend? I recommend you begin planting the seeds of righteousness right now and give it six months, nine months, a year, two years, five years, ten years. And while the old harvest dies, that new harvest is going to come in and boy, you're going to get to enjoy it. Letter C, we see God's prompting of Israel. God's prompting of Israel. And so we get to the end of the punishment. 52 verse 1 through verse 10. And God's going to call them out of Babylon. Look at verse 1. Awake, awake, put on thy strength. 52.1. O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcision and the unclean. Shake thyself. From the dust, arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the hands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there. And the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, uh, have, um, uh, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? That they rule over them, uh, make them to howl, saith the Lord. And my name continually every day is blasphemed. Speaking of the Babylonians. Verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore uh, uh, they shall know in the day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. Look at 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth a, a peace and bringeth a, a good tidings of good, uh, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. I'm going to pause there for a minute. We'll read 8, 9, 10 in just a moment. Uh, th- this verse has a double meaning to it. And uh, Romans is it 10, 15, I believe. Romans 10, 15. You find the same verse quoted in, in, uh, as it pertains to the preaching of the gospel to the world around it. It has a double meaning. What's, what's the initial meaning here? All right? The Babylonians have been, uh, have had the Israelites in captivity for nigh unto 70 years, and Cyrus comes in and, uh, overthrows Babylon and allows the Israelites to go home. And as they're beginning to go home, they are to pick pleasant, good-looking people that will run to the hills right outside Jerusalem and proclaim to the people in Jerusalem, we've been set free, we're coming home, Uh, our nation will be restored again, our people will be restored again. How beautiful were the feet of them 
that proclaimed. And it, in fact, let's, let's just do this. Turn over to Romans 10. And let's not miss this one here. Romans chapter 10. And I let's see if I got that right. If it was 15. It's in that neighborhood. <laughs> if it's not 15. All right. Romans chapter 10. There it is. Verse 15. All right. I got it right. Every now and then I know my Bible. All right. Romans 10. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they hear on, uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, here it is, Isaiah 51, or 52 rather, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. Now, we don't run to the hills of, of Jerusalem and proclaim captivity from Babylon. But what we can do is run to the metaphorical hills of the lives of the people around us and we can proclaim that, that, that Christ wants to set you free from your sin if you'll just simply call upon His name and believe in Him. Go back to 52 and look at verse number 8. Thy watchmen shall lift up the, the voice. With the voice together shall they sing. For they, shall, uh, they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Um, uh, break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arms in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And I, I, one day during the millennial reign, that's also going to take place where uh, the world sees the power of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. And, but we see here God's prompting of Israel, hey, get out the, the good attire, get out the best you have, and send, them, send forth the people to proclaim to the remnant left in Jerusalem that you've been delivered, that the time of punishment is over, and now it's time to rejoice, rejoice. This message here in 52, 1 through 10 is twofold. First notice, we are to take heart, take heart. You may be going through a time of difficulty right now, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you are on the winning side. You're on the winning side. And you know why we have the book of Revelation, church? We have the book of Revelation to tell us that in the day of great despair and great struggle, when the church is being persecuted and you feel like God's forgotten about you, you can turn to the back of the book and you can know this, in the end, we are going to win. Because Captain Jesus, we're on Team Jesus, and He is the captain of our faith. We're on the winning side. The second message here in chapter 52, 1 through 10, is not only take heart, but get ready. Your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption draws nigh. All right, let's finish it up this evening, and let's look at number three. Let's look at the abolishment. The abolishment. Look at verse 11. Depart ye, depart ye. Go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your reward. And so, uh, here we're being told that when you go, you're going to take the vessels of the temple back with you to Jerusalem. And we now know that this did indeed happen. What happened when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel? The vessels of the Lord were carried out of the temple before it was burned down, and now they're going to get to take them back. Uh, 
Isaiah so poetically writes in 13 down through 15 what I'll call the introductory um, chapter uh, to what we're going to study next week in Isaiah 53. Look at verse uh, 13. This becomes a prophetic. Um, uh, 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 this becomes prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ and His suffering. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which hath not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Um, Jesus would come and he would be that man whose visage was marred. He would be that man who would be killed up on the tree. His blood would sprinkle the nations, enabling them to know salvation. But it, his blood would also be shed by the nation of Rome as they would take him and have him uh, uh, beaten and killed. And so we see the abolishment. The abolishment and uh, the realization yet again that the Lord is by your side. Let me just give you a couple things and we'll be done this evening. I don't know where you are per se uh, right now. You may feel as though you're going through a time where you're, you know, was it um, uh, Linus in the Charlie Brown cartoon that had the cloud that followed him? Everywhere was that? Was that? Did I, get, did I get the cartoon character right? Was it Linus? Who? Lattimore, Eeyore as well. But I, Lattimore is that his name? Little Abner. Okay. You may feel like that. You may feel like that. That everywhere you go, Mike's old enough. He could. You got more for me? All right. Um, give me the whole history. Um, you may feel like everywhere you go, you got a rain cloud following you over your head. You just can't catch a break. And you call out to God for help, and, and things get worse. And you're like, what good does prayer even do? I just want to go back and remind you, if you're saved, what Jesus went through in order to purchase your salvation. I want to remind you that in John 14... He promises to be building you a room or a mansion in heaven. Your past, amazing. Your future, amazing. And even right now, if you're saved, this trial that you're going through, you have God in the form of the Holy Spirit indwelling you to guide you through each of these things. I think sometimes Christians fall into the trap of believing that suffering is bad. Suffering is not bad. Now, nobody here wants to sign up to suffer. But did you know that you can't really know Christ without suffering? You can't know Him. You won't know Him. If you're just carried to heaven on a flowery bed of ease, as the songwriter put it, then you're never going to know what Jesus actually endured. I, I know plenty of people in my life, and what they do is uh, they, they have suffered with some crippling disorder or they've suffered with some issue in their life, and, and, and they're very godly people. And as I get close to them, what they have told me over and over again is 
is I feel like I just know Jesus a little bit better the more I suffer because I know what he went through for me. You're going through a time of suffering right now. Maybe you brought it on your own head. Maybe there's some sin in your life that's caused your suffering. Maybe there isn't any sin. Maybe God's just chosen to put you through a trial like he did Job. But can I tell you, don't waste it. Don't waste it. God has a plan for you in that. Amen? God's not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. He's still on the throne. He knows who you are. You know, he counted every step you took today. He loves you. All right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you for being faithful, church. I'm going to slip out that door after I pray and head on home. I'm a little under the weather, and I don't, I don't want to give any of you what I have. So pray for me if you think of it, all right? Let's pray. We'll go home. Father God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the truths that are in it. Thank you, Lord, that uh, just like Israel for 70 years, suffering under your hand of punishment, Lord, you reminded them that they were not forsaken. The time of punishment would be up, and they would be renewed and restored. And, uh, Lord, thank you that you have uh, given us the avenues of, uh, Lord, uh, of, of growth. And, Lord, uh, times of suffering just remind us of your hand of goodness. Uh, and so, God, help us, Lord, to uh, uh, turn to you and may our faith be strong in you. Give us a good night. Bless us as we go from this place. Lord God, guide us. And, Lord, help us in all we say and do. In your blessed and holy name, amen.